Good morning. It is Jonathan Keller from California Family Council welcoming you back to another episode of Life, Family, Liberty, the weekly radio show and podcast from California Family Council. It is Monday, the 17th of April, day after Easter. Happy Easter to all of my friends. It was nice that this week was kind of unique. It coincided with both the Jewish holiday of Passover along with the Western Easter and the Eastern Easter. There you go. So I can say Christos and Easter. I can say uh, all sorts of different Easter greetings. Yeah, to people. you don't know the Jewish uh, Passover especially. I, do you? I don't. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> that other voice I don't that either, you hear. So that's okay. That voice that you hear mocking me is my good friend John Girardi, who is the executive director for Right to Life of Central California. Good morning, everyone. Happy uh, Happy Dingus Day. <laughs> that's uh, today is uh, Easter Monday. Is the traditional Polish day where young men throw buckets of water on on girls there they like that's that's a thing are, are you actually serious yeah this is a thing it's, i was not actually Polish aware of this thing where um you you get a bucket or a cup of water and you find some girl that you like and you throw water at her wow yeah that seems like a very bad idea <laughs> the mating habits of, of young polish men were <laughs> kind of strange i guess uh but uh, there you go i guess that's one way to tell a girl you like her is throw <laughs> ice cold water in her it's, face it's the holiday of single polish men apparently <laughs> yeah, so, I guess so. Per, in perpetuity there you go uh speaking of easter though we, we actually do have a jam-packed show today we've got a great lineup of people greg burt from california family council is going to be calling in uh, and in the next segment, he's going to be talking about bills going on in Sacramento, some of the crazy stuff that's happening just this week. We're also going to hear a little bit later from Kaylee Triller-Haver, who works with our friends up in Washington State on the Just Want Privacy campaign, talking about the dangers of bills like SB 179 and how they actually really endanger women and children by denying safe spaces, private spaces for women and biological women only. Then in the Next to last segment, we're going to hear from our friend Christiana Holcomb from Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, last week, we did talk with Eric Stanley from Alliance Defending Freedom about the playground case, the Trinity Lutheran Church out of Missouri, excuse me. Uh, but there have been some developments in that, very interesting developments with the newly elected GOP governor uh, and what that means for the case. We want to talk to Christiana about that and why it's still important that you follow what the Supreme Court's going to do on Wednesday. But first off, uh, keeping with our initial theme of Easter... I actually wanted to play some audio for you. I have not done this on the show before. I don't play a lot of audio from President Trump. I will be honest. If any of you were listening when I was guest hosting for Jim Franklin last year, if you've seen some of the videos that John Girardi and I did last year in our personal capacity, uh, well, first off, I should say in our organizational capacities, neither Right to Life nor California Family Council uh, endorse or support any candidates for public office. We don't endorse or oppose. However... Both of us, I think, Johnny, would be fair to say, we were um, we were skeptical of President Trump uh, when he was candidate Trump. Fair to say. Fair to say. Uh, however, I think that it's very important that we point out when he does things that are good. We thank him for times that he advances policies that advance uh, life, family, and religious liberty. And actually, I wanted to play his weekly address from Friday. Some of you may know that every week the president gets to make a weekly address. It used to be just called, you know, the weekly radio address. Then I think it was maybe under President Bush, but certainly under President Obama, they started doing a video of it. 
And now President Trump has actually started doing it where he has a Facebook Live video uh, that comes alongside it. So this is published on both Facebook Live, it's published on YouTube, and I wanted to play his uh, weekly address from Friday. I think that you're actually going to like it. It's a little bit unconventional, but I think you'll enjoy it. So here you go. My fellow Americans, this is a season of great hope. This week, Jewish families across our country and around the world celebrate Passover and retell the story of God's deliverance of the Jewish people. The story of the Exodus is a story of freedom. It is a story of an incredible people who were liberated from oppression and raised up the face of humankind. Down through the centuries, the Jewish people have lived through one persecution after another, and yet they persevered and thrived and uplifted the world beyond measure. And now the state of Israel stands as a monument to their faith and endurance. Another day of faith and celebration is also upon us. This Easter Sunday, Christians celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the promise of eternal salvation. It is a holy day of reverence and worship. It is a sacred time that fills the spirit of our nation with the faith of our people. America is a nation of believers. As families gather in houses of worship across the nation, we are grateful for the tremendous blessings of this land, our home. We have a beautiful country, an abundant countryside, and an amazing people with a truly bright and wonderful future. From the beginning, America has been a place that has cherished the freedom of worship. That is the promise the first settlers saw in our vast continent. And it is the promise that our bravest warriors have protected for all of our citizens in centuries since, a long time ago. Sadly, many around the globe do not enjoy this freedom. And one of the gravest threats to religious freedom remains the threat of terror. On Palm Sunday, as Christians around the world celebrate the beginning of Holy Week, ISIS murdered at least 45 people and injured over 100 others at two Christian churches in Egypt. We condemn this barbaric attack. We mourn for those who lost loved ones, and we pray for the strength and wisdom to achieve a better tomorrow, one where good people of all faiths, Christians and Muslims and Jewish and Hindu, can follow their hearts and worship according to their conscience. With God's grace, life always triumphs over death. Freedom overcomes oppression, and faith extinguishes fear. This is the source of our hope and our confidence in the future. I also want to give a special message to those struggling Americans who have felt for too long the bitter taste of hardship. I want you to know this White House is fighting for you. We are fighting for every American who has been left behind. We are fighting for the right of all citizens to enjoy safety and peace and to work and live with the dignity that all children of God are entitled to know. As long as we have faith in each other and trust in God, we will succeed. Thank you. Have a happy Easter, a happy Passover. God bless you, and God bless America. So, like I said, I'm not a lot of times going to be playing official campaign statements or White House statements or anything. I think a lot of times they can be a little bit fluff, 
sometimes will play plays news clips or things. But I thought, John, that was a particularly good clip from President Trump. I, I don't want to get into a big comparison of, well, you know, Obama never would have said that. But no, but I mean, in fairness, he probably wouldn't have. I mean, yeah. it, it, the idea of specifically mentioning Christians who are being persecuted throughout the world. Yep. And I mean, it's good. I'm hopeful this will lead to things like the long-awaited executive order on religious liberty concerns yep. and other things like that. I mean, he's done a great thing in nominating Judge Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, which I'm sure is going to be helpful for all these different religious liberty cases that we have. I'm sure we'll be talking about that later on in the show. But yeah, I mean, we uh, that was a pretty stinking solid statement. So I, I was really impressed, especially with the fact he did also say again i know it's a small thing but as as christians the fact that he made a very explicit point of talking about you know christians you know celebrate the resurrection of christ and the hope of eternal salvation i just uh again i I don't want to pick on president obama too much or pick on any other religious leaders but for someone who has had as a a tenuous relationship with christianity (laughs) as president trump has uh the fact that he's espousing pretty orthodox Christian doctrine in the official White House address and kind of just giving a, a nod to the millions of Christians both in the United States and around the world I thought was very good. In addition to that, John, I thought that his message on the strength of the Jewish people and the importance of Passover, obviously there's been a lot said about the fact that you know President Trump has a son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's Jewish. His daughter Ivanka has converted to Judaism. And yet there's still this persistent, I think, kind of myth and slander that President Trump is somehow anti-Semitic, but yeah. I thought that that was a really uh, well-put uh, statement recognizing the Jewish people and the state of Israel and the travails they've been through, especially after some of the ridiculous stuff uh, from Sean Spicer last week, the, the crazy statement on the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a big flub, but I, um, no, I, I think it was a good statement all in all, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it leads to some concrete action on the front of defending the religious liberty rights of Christians, uh, particularly as it relates to important moral issues like marriage and things like that. Right. Yeah, and I think that's that's hopefully what we can look forward to. So, bravo, President Trump. Thank you for an excellent Good Friday message. When we come back, we'll have Greg Burt from California Family Council joining us here on Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty here on AM 1680, The Answer. It's Jonathan Keller and John Girardi. Happy to be back with you today on Monday, April 17th. Again, appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you helping share the radio show, the podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, etc. We do have a new website. If you go to lifefamilyliberty.net, we've revised the website that makes it really easy. You can listen from there on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. You can subscribe on Google Play or on iTunes, uh, or if you have a separate podcast app, you can subscribe right from there as well. So just go to lifefamilyliberty.net if you want to subscribe. .com.net, it'll all take you to the same place. We're joined right now, though, by CFC's Director of Capital Engagement, Greg Burt. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Well, hey, I wanted to... Uh, thank you for your hard work up in Sacramento. I know you have been doing yeoman's work, visiting the Capitol, meeting with legislators, dropping off letters of support or opposition on some key bills. And well, it, this is actually a pretty key week. We have some really big hearings coming up on several bills, correct? That's right. Tell Tuesday us about... Wednesday are, are the big days. 
You said Tuesday and Wednesday? Yeah. Tell us about SB 219, the long-term care bill. Well, it's 219. Uh, this is a bill that's labeled the LGBT Bill of Rights. And it actually specifically lays out exactly what discrimination against LGBT folks would actually look like. Because there's already laws on the books that outlaw discrimination in long-term care facilities, but the author of the bill doesn't think they're strong enough. So the, the bill would actually state that it will be illegal or your facility would be liable for a lawsuit if the gender pronoun that is preferred by the resident isn't used. And so if a transgender person wants to has a particular gender pronoun, and we're not just talking about male or female, it could be one of 50 pronouns. And if those pronouns aren't used in reference to this person, then that could be liable for a lawsuit. So that's just one of the things. There's and there's also an issue with bathrooms and roommate situations. No longer could they these uh, bathrooms or roommate situations be designated by biological sex. It would have to be a person's gender identity, so how they ad- identify. So if a man identifies as a woman, he'll have to be treated as a woman. They'll let him access the woman's bathrooms and be housed with any other uh, woman in the facility. Wow. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really is kind of incredible. Greg, here's the scariest thing about this, Bill, in my opinion. I think we all acknowledge, even though we don't like the fact that the state is regulating this when it comes to these homes for adults. In theory, if these homes were state-sponsored or state-funded, that would be one thing. But this actually yeah. applies to every residential treatment facility, including ones like here in Fresno, including ones like the Nazareth House, places that are run by either the Catholic Church or by private other religious organizations, Methodists, Adventists, etc. There is no religious exemption in this bill, correct? No, there's no religious exemption, and there's no intent to have one. Gosh. And the, the other thing that is, I think this is the first time that actually pronouns are going to be mandated to be used meaning it, you are prescribing, you're telling somebody that they have to use a pronoun. Um, and I think this is a huge violation of the freedom of speech. I was watching a, a video over the weekend about this university professor up in Canada. Same issue is happening up there. It's now illegal to not use the right pronoun, and he's refusing, saying, you can't force me to say something I don't, I don't believe in. Right. So that's what's happening here in California. Hey, Greg, this is John Girardi here. Hey. One question. Is there any cognizance among the legislators who've introduced this that there's a good chance that this law could be subject to lawsuits on First Amendment grounds, like particularly freedom of religion grounds, but even possibly, as you're saying, freedom of speech grounds? Like, Is, is that like a consideration that they're thinking about, or, or do they just not care, just full steam ahead? Well, during the first committee hearing on this bill, those issues weren't brought up at all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm hoping in front of the, it's a judicial committee now, and I talked to each of the legislator staff for each of the legislators, and I went to the committee chair, and I had this great letter from Pacific Justice Institute that brought up all these issues related to freedom of speech and freedom of religion. I just hope that topic comes up in the committee hearing. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping the Republicans bring it up. I mean, at the very least, just to scare them into thinking that this could be subject to a bunch of lawsuits if they do try it. I mean, at, at the very least, even if they don't agree in principle, like you're, you're 
forcing religious entities to act in a way that violates their deeply held religious beliefs. So, Well, they can't claim they're ignorant of those issues because we gave them information about them. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, Greg, speaking of uh, privacy, I know we're, we're a little pressed for time here. We've got to end in about three minutes. But can you give us a real quick recap of SB 320, and then we want to finish up with SB 179, the, uh, the gender okay. change bill? Okay, SB 320 is a bill introduced by Senator Connie Leva, a Democrat of Chino down south. Uh, this is a bill that would mandate all public universities and community colleges that have on-campus health centers that they need to provide medication for early abortion. And this early abortion medication can be used on uh, unborn babies up to 10 weeks. RU486 is kind of a common vernacular for that particular drug, but it's now going to be required that all these public universities provide this drug to the health centers. So there's a lot of pro-life organizations all upset, including ours, and so we've been going to each of the, the, the offices, and the, the drug is very traumatic because what ends up happening is they portray it as an easy easy way to you know eliminate your early an early pregnancy but really they send you home and you end up having giving birth to your your dead child and you know it's going to be in their dorm room yeah yeah. really traumatic for folks it's really it's really barbaric and you can find out more about those bills that greg mentioned on our website californiafamily.org uh, greg real That's quick right. we have kelly triller haver from the just want privacy campaign coming up after the break uh, really yeah. quick give us a recap on sb 179 i know we played your testimony on this last week but briefly for people who didn't listen last week uh, what's the gist of this bill this bill is your choose your gender bill so it's simplifying the process for any individual to change your gender designation on your birth certificate or your driver's license. All it's going to take is you to fill out a form, send it in for your birth certificate, and check the right box on your license. No questions asked, no proof required. Wow. So it's, re- it's disconnecting biology uh, from the definition of gender. It's, it's incredibly radical, and people need to understand its implications. Yeah, it's a very serious bill. Again, folks, one thing that is just shocking about this compared to other parts of the country, this allows even minors to change their gender. Uh, It's just really insane. Greg Burt from California Family Council, thanks for being with us. Make sure you stay tuned after the break, folks, for Kelly Triller-Haver from the Just Want Privacy Campaign here on Life, Family, Liberty on AM 1680, The Answer. Thirty-four minutes after the hour here in Fresno, California, I am Jonathan Keller, CEO of California Family Council, joined by my friend and colleague John Girardi of Right to Life of Central California. Lots of lots of bills we could be talking about, but one of the ones that I think is most pressing today is the bill we just finished with, SB 179, talking about the fact that California is threatening to allow people to change their gender without any sort of medical consultation, without any sort of uh, advice or consent from a doctor. One of the people that I think is helping carry the torch on the important issue of privacy is Kaylee Triller-Haver. And Kaylee is from the Just Want Privacy campaign in Washington State. She's the communications director for Just Want Privacy. Their website is justwantprivacy.org. Kaylee, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about 
the work you're doing up in Washington State, and I know you've had a chance just to briefly look at this bill. Tell us why, in general, privacy is such an important thing for women, girls, and for all of society. Sure. So in Washington State, we had um, our Human Rights Commission, which is five unelected bureaucrats, uh, about a year and a half ago, issued a statewide mandate that opened all of our state's locker rooms and bathrooms on the basis of gender identity. So does this want privacy campaign exist to repeal what we think is kind of an egregious overstep of their legislative authority um, and restore privacy and, you know, the rights of business owners to determine their own policies. And I think what's really important for people to understand, though, is that this is not just about bathrooms. I think a lot of people, they hear this and they think, gosh, this is kind of a fringe issue. We've got Syria and all these other things to worry about. But what I would hope to kind of help people maybe consider a little bit more deeply is that the implications of changing all this legislation to um, essentially replace biological sex with this concept of gender identity has tremendously harmful implications, especially for women. Um, and so that's kind of where my my heart is on this. Um, it's it's scary, I think, again, because Greg mentioned this earlier uh, in the last segment. He mentioned it last week. If you divorce the idea of sex from biology, if you divorce the idea of gender instead of being an innate quality that is tied to your chromosomes, it's tied to your physical characteristics. If it's just something that is based on a personal preference or a personal identification, then it's really meaningless. Well, that's right. And I think it's really important to kind of clarify our terms here, because I think most of us, or at least a lot of us, when we use the word gender, we forever have used it in a way that is synonymous with biological sex. We would use those two terms interchangeably. And what this new wave of activism is doing is it's trying to separate biological sex and create a completely different definition for gender. Um, gender, they would say, is how you express or live out whatever you feel that you are versus what is actually true about your body, which is what we would say biological sex is. And so when we use those words, we have to know that people are using them differently now. And what they're trying to do, especially in the law, is to replace biological sex with gender expression. So that means all these hard-earned, especially protections for women, we think about Title IX, um, where we have protections as women now to get athletic scholarships, which is how I paid for college, so that's kind of important for me, um, with gender identity, which means that women, you know, female no matter, no longer matters. Um, men can come in and take a woman's athletic scholarship because they say that they are female. That's, that's what's happening here. It's basically the two can't coexist. You can't have gender identity and biological sex in a cohesive kind of system. Um, and this has tremendous, tremendous implications for survivors of sexual trauma, mm. um, especially in locker room settings. That's that's a huge piece for me. Um, you've got men with beards who say they're women who are now legally, especially in Washington State, legally allowed to go into any locker room in the entire state and declare their right to be there. They could have a beard. They could have male parts. And if they say that they're female, they get to hang out there. And there's nothing that we women can do about that. And that feels incredibly regressive and misogynistic to me. And I think a lot of women agree, but people are afraid to say so. Right. Hey, Kaylee, this is John Girardi. Uh, I'm Jonathan's co-host here. Could you maybe describe to our listeners how this was imposed upon you guys through what seems like a regulatory process or it doesn't seem like it was yeah. imposed through any sort of uh, actual legislation and, and what the risks, what that sort of precedent could mean for other states, uh, what, what the risks are for other states on this being imposed on them without them sort of knowing. Yeah, I mean, that's an important angle to kind of highlight, too, because it's 
it's so appalling. Basically, what they know is that people won't vote for this. By and large, people understand that this is just kind of ridiculous. It doesn't play out well. And so when they know that they can't get it passed legislatively, what they're doing is they're having a rulemaking authority, like the Human Rights Commission. They exist to clarify existing law. So if there's any kind of point of you know ambiguity, their job is to make that clearer. So what they did is they took the overarching law um, against discrimination, and then they zeroed in on the fine points and they said, oh, this also includes gender identity because we say it does. So there was five people who made this decision for all 7 million residents of Washington without any kind of due process or Mm -hmm. debate um, or considering who this affects. Um, And they just said, this is so because we say so. And we didn't vote for these people. Um, We didn't have a chance to push back and say, hey, wait a minute. Um, they just they put it into law and said this is the way it's going to be, and you have to deal with it. Right, and that's and, them across the country is how they're how, how they're getting these things passed. Right, and that that's the move we saw with the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals recently, who basically just redefined a law that prevented discrimination on the basis of sex to also include gender identity and expression. That's this move that they're doing. Anything where it says sex, and these were laws generally written in the seventies to protect actual biological sex to protect women as opposed to people who say they're women. Um, but now, now they're sort of redefining that to include this amorphous concept of, quote, gender. Yeah, That's and, right. And, Kaylee, we're, uh, we're just about out of time, but a bit, again, can you give people both your uh, Twitter account so people can follow you as well as the, the website for the Just Want Privacy campaign? Of course, yeah. My Twitter handle is at Kaylee T, K-A-E-L-E-Y-T, um, and then uh, justwantprivacy.org. We've got a lot of information there. You can follow us on Facebook as well. We're pumping out stuff a lot. So happy to help how we can. Well, and folks, this is a much longer conversation. Uh, we definitely want to have Kaylee back on to discuss both SB 179 and other issues. We're actually going to try to record a special podcast, I think, later this week with a little bit more of Kaylee's personal story and how she got involved. Uh, but for now, folks, please follow JustWantPrivacy.org. Please follow Kaylee T. on Twitter. We'll be right back here on Life, Family, Liberty. Forty-six minutes after the hour here on Life, Family, Liberty, with Jonathan Keller, CEO of California Family Council, and my intrepid co-host, occasional semi-regular co-host, John Girardi. Good to be here, John. Uh, man, it's already been a jam-packed show, and we are standing by waiting for Christiana Holcomb from Alliance Defending Freedom to join us. Uh, I know they've just been absolutely swamped with legislative issues across the country, and this week they have a huge Supreme Court case that's coming up as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, John, as we're waiting for Christiana to call in, do you want to talk a little bit about your big event that's coming up at the end of this month? Yeah. Thursday, April 27th at New Covenant Community Church, which is located at 1744 Knees Avenue in Fresno. Rice Life of Central California is having its annual educational dessert. And the topic will be assisted suicide and end-of-life issues. Uh, we're going to have a couple of speakers, uh, Jennifer Heyman and Julie Grimstadt. Jennifer Heyman was former head of California Nurses for Ethical Standards. Uh, she uh, was one of the leading opponents of legalizing physician-assisted suicide in California. And she also lived through a coma and remembered everything and has some great insight on questions like advanced medical directives, end-of-life issues, stuff like that. Julie also has a lot of great info on stuff like that. And I will be discussing the legalization of physician-assisted suicide in California and what it means and why it's bad and things like that. So, you know, these are issues that 
genuinely everyone is going to have to deal with at some point or another, either for themselves or for a loved one, end-of-life decision-making. Should I get you know, a medical power of attorney, an advanced directive? What should I do? How should we think about these issues and plan for these issues? So I'd really encourage everyone to come. If you want more info on it, call Right to Life of Central California at 229-2229. Awesome. So there you go. I'm uh, obviously very excited about this event. I think, folks, we may not realize how egregious, how aggressive the assisted suicide movement is, especially here within California. The fact that they basically rammed this through... Uh, at the 11th hour. Yeah, like, and, and with questionable legality. I mean, the fact that it was with this special health care session and all this other stuff back in yeah, 2015. A, session, a, a special session of the legislature that was allegedly about health care funding. And then somehow we wound up with a bill attempting to legalize physician-assisted suicide. Um, but also at this conference, we'll have some interesting stuff about palliative care, about hospice care and issues and things to think about. Uh, as it relates to all of those questions. So it, it really, like, I think this will be a great event in terms of everyone will will learn something during this conference, and it will be helpful and useful for absolutely everyone. So uh, I'm really excited by it. Again, Thursday, April 27th, New Covenant Community Church. Uh, I hope you will all come down and participate yeah and john again if people want to find out more what's the best website for people to go to for that Yeah, you can go to right to you can check us out on facebook which is facebook.com uh just look for right to life of central california on facebook you can go to twitter.com slash right to life ca awesome well, we're going to go ahead and bring Christiana Holcomb on the phone from Alliance Defending Freedom, one of our good friends who works there helping churches across the country and ministries across the country to defend their religious liberty. Christiana, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be with you, Jonathan. Uh, hey, I know you guys have a gigantic case coming up at the Supreme Court uh, this Wednesday, uh, playgroundcase.com. We talked with your friend and colleague Eric Stanley about this last week. Uh, but I know there have actually been some really interesting developments in this with the governor of Missouri kind of almost trying to preempt the case. Can you just kind of give our listeners a brief update on that? Sure. Well, at the 11th hour, so Thursday evening, the governor of Missouri issued a statement saying, huh, we're going to reverse the policy. We're no longer going to discriminate against religious organizations um, in, in their ability to participate in our state programs, um, as they did against Trinity Lutheran Church. And so the Supreme Court thereafter on Friday asked both parties to brief the question of whether or not this has any impact on the case moving forward. The governor himself in a statement said he didn't think it would impact the case. And frankly, that's our position as well. You know, the discrimination um, that occurred against Trinity Lutheran needs to be remedied. Um, that, you know, that's still something that, that occurred to them and that needs to be fixed. And so Alliance Defending Freedom is looking forward to advocating for the freedom of all people of faith at the Supreme Court on Wednesday. And I think the real key, like you said about this, uh, I think this is kind of a win-win for Trinity Lutheran. I mean, uh, on the one hand, they do get their rights acknowledged and vindicated by the state. But at the same time, because this is really a Blaine Amendment case, because this has to do with a constitutional amendment there in Missouri and similar amendments around the country, like you said, this really does require a Supreme Court remedy to acknowledge that the First Amendment does apply to states and that religious liberty really is our most important freedom. That's exactly right. And really, our constitutionally protected freedoms shouldn't hinge on who's in power. So, you know, Trinity Lutheran shouldn't have to wait and see whether a future governor might reverse the policy. Now, we need a legal fix to the Missouri Blaine Amendment, and we're asking the Supreme Court to do just that. 
Uh, Christiana, I know you've got just uh, probably a ton of work getting ready for all our arguments this week and all the other different things going on. I know your team has just been so wonderful pushing out information. Uh, we already talked about PlaygroundCase.com where people can follow, learn more about the case of Trinity Lutheran. Uh, what, what about you personally? What's your best contact info on Twitter, on etc.? People can follow the good work you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. They're welcome to connect with me on Twitter at ADF Christiana. Um, or they're certainly welcome to connect with us um, on the web as well at adflegal.org to learn more about the work that we do. Awesome. Well, folks, I hope that you will follow the work that Alliance Defending Freedom does. They are some of our uh, best friends and most valuable partners in the fight for life, family, and religious liberty. They really are doing some amazing work. Christiana, in particular, is one of my favorite people. I'm sitting here, Christiana, along with John Girardi, our former legal counsel. And we're so grateful for the work that she's done helping train churches and ministries out here in California. And uh, God bless. We'll be praying for you and your team on Wednesday. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, folks. We'll be back here in just a few minutes on Life, Family, Liberty. Well, we want to thank all of our great guests today, uh, Christiana Holcomb, a wonderful friend of California Family Council there at Alliance Defending Freedom, along with our good friends uh, Brianna Hurley, Carrie Kupak uh, in the media department, always doing such a great job getting us great guests, Kelly Triller-Haver, and Greg Burt. We're going to have on our website, californiafamily.org, we're going to have all of their contact information if you want to follow them. And, of course, again, you can follow everything that we're doing at the website, CaliforniaFamily.org. You can also subscribe to this show. You can share it with friends and family members at LifeFamilyLiberty.net. Uh, you know, folks, it's really a, an important thing, I think. As we've, as we've heard today, there are so many issues going on both nationally and in California. One thing that we want to do here at Life, Family, Liberty, one of the reasons why I finally got this show was that I think that there is a, a dearth of good political news and analysis on California issues. Right. There are some great national shows. It's, I think, time for our obligatory uh, Hugh Hewitt radio show. Yeah, there you go. Ding! We have some great friends like that that focus on national issues. Hugh obviously focuses a lot on national defense, national security, uh, legal issues, and things like that. Uh, but there really is not a show that is focusing on the key issues coming out of Sacramento, the key issues right. uh, that are in the Capitol and why those issues are so crucial. That's why we want to have people like Greg Bird on. That's why we want to have analysis like Kaylee coming on, talking about the dangers of some of these bills. And then also, John, I think that even though it is a case out of Missouri, a case like the Trinity Lutheran case, PlaygroundCase.com, that's really going to have an effect on California. Even though we don't well, have sure. a Blaine Amendment, the, the religious liberty implications are huge. Well, sure. The idea that you're being a religious entity would allow the government to discriminate against you for an otherwise universally applicable government program, I mean, that's going to have an impact in California one way or another. So it's good to have a show to talk about these things because these things wind up somehow not making the very scant amount of real estate in the Fresno Bee. Yeah, somehow the local papers, whether it's the Fresno Bee, the Sacramento Bee, the San Francisco Examiner, uh, you know, San Jose Mercury News, LA Times, they just, uh, they don't seem to be covering that information as much. No, once it, it seems like as it relates to state government stuff, you only get coverage of it after the thing has passed already. And there's nothing you can do. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important that you follow the work that we're doing at California Family Council, the work that's coming out of Sacramento. And locally and statewide, I also encourage you to follow our friends at Right to Life of Central California. Uh, John Girardi is John V. Girardi on Twitter. You can follow them online at... Uh, right to right, Life CA. 
RightToLifeCA.org. And we will be back with you next week on Life, Family, Liberty, a radio show and podcast of California Family Council.